Bam 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 Welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. When you said that, you popped up like a like gopher? cartoon gopher. Hey, everybody! From Animaniacs or something. I'm Lisa Linky. I'm Misty Stinnett. Okay. And this is a podcast where we review a popular self-help book each episode and talk about how we feel about it. And if you like what you hear, you can go buy the book and learn more about it because we can't cover everything, you guys. <laughs> We're not miracle workers. Um, and if you hate the book, who cares? Who can care? You've spent less time and energy and money, quite frankly, than you would have if you would have bought the book. The, ooh. So we're reading the book so you can go on uh, enjoying your busy life while still getting the perspective-altering self-help advice you've been craving or that people want you to get if or you're like me. Or that your me. family and friends have been guilt-tripping you into. Exactly. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome. Talk to me about... This week. Oh, I cannot wait, but I would be remiss mm. if before we dive in, I want to mention that I was just on the podcast Beyond Beyond Belief. Yes. It was so much fun. If you do you remember the hit show in the 90s, it was kind of a cult classic called Beyond, Beyond Belief. Belief. Yeah. Fact or fiction. Yes. And they would tell you creepy ghost stories like and like reenactments. Shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to you'd have to decide some were true and some were false and you'd have to play along and see what were real and what were fake. Well, Beyond Beyond Belief has an episode for every episode of that show Get for the entire run Get of its series. Um, so I had the privilege of doing a segment promoting our podcast on that podcast where... Wow! Yeah, yeah. It was so much fun. And the coolest part about be- this particular episode of Beyond Beyond Belief is that Sam Levine, the actor from Freaks and Geeks, yes. was the co-host Come for that on. episode. It is such a fun episode. It is Beyond Beyond Belief. Um, you can you can view their everything at beyondbeyondbelief.com. Their podcast is also at Beyond Belief Pod on Instagram. It's excellent. If you love the show, you will love this podcast. And it is a higher production value than ours. Excuse so me. Go enjoy yourself. We have a sampling of Doritos and Chips Ahoy in front of us. Well, A, no one can see that. And B I slacked on snacks this week and see they have sound effects and like the crazy. We can have sound effects. Yeah. No, let's put some in here. Um, anyways, ton of fun. Go check it out. I can't wait. That's so great. And thank you for having us on. Yes, it was amazing. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, whole team. So this book, I am so excited to bring you this week. I can't wait. It is called I'm judging you. Thank you. The Do Better Manual. Okay. By Lovey Ajayi. Lovey Ajayi. Yes. It's A J A Y I Ajayi. Okay. And it's called I'm Judging You, colon, The Do Better Manual. That's right. Nailed it. That's amazing. This, you, okay. I'm going to say this right off the bat. It sounds like my kind of book. It does. And I thought that um, as soon as I picked it up. And uh, we are going to dive right in. So, what, quick question What made you pick up this book? The title? I I loved the title. I was looking for so I'm actually it's you're such a segue goddess because I am Thank about you. to tell you why why it seems like everyone in the world has read this book or that it's at the top of I a haven't. ton of bestseller lists. Okay. So, in answer to your question, this was a New York Times bestseller 
a number one Washington Post bestseller, oh. USA Today bestseller, Excuse me. Goodreads Choice Awards nominee. Okay. It was called... Uh, it was on the list called 20 Books by Women You Must Read This Fall by Redbook. Oh. Goodhousekeeping.com also named it as one of their, quote, 17 new best books to read this fall, okay. end quote. Oh. Book Riot also called it one of their 100 must-read hilarious books. <gasps> it is also the number one bestseller on Amazon.com in humor literary criticism. What? Why have I not heard of this book? Oh, Oprah's also involved, which well, I'll get to in a I've moment. I have blown it. I have blown my life. No, it's amazing. So a, a little bit about the author, mm-hmm. and this is from Amazon.com mm-hmm. and also Lovia Jai's website, which I will plug in a moment. I just want to keep saying her name. It's it's wonderful. She's a Nigerian-American. She, um, she actually has a whole section on how people freak out when they see her name. It's Ajayi, A-J-A-Y-I. And her first name, Lovie, is L-O-V-I-E? It's L-U-V-V-I-E, and it's actually sort of a shorter version of a nickname that she got um, because her her full Nigerian name is really beautiful and I don't remember how to pronounce it Great. right now. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. Keep going. Yeah. So she she uh, professionally goes by Lovey Ajayi. So she is an award-winning writer, a pop culture critic, and professional troublemaker who thrives at the intersection of comedy, technology, and activism. I love it. She is the person who often says what you're thinking but dared not to because you have a filter and a job to protect. Thank you. <laughs> don't you love her already? I do. Um, an alum of the University of Illinois, Lovey. <gasps> That's where I'm from. You're, you went to University of Illinois? I'm from Champaign, Urbana. Oh, my God. And I did get my graduate degree there. Oh, my God, Lovey. Lovey Agile. Get at us. You. Get at us. Oh, my God. Listen, she is doing your hometown proud. Yay. So, so as an alum of the University of Illinois, she is a noted speaker who has presented on numerous stages, including... The White House. Thank you. Ted Women. Thank you. South by Southwest. Yes. Social Media Week. Yes. Uh, in Chicago, Lagos, and Johannesburg. Okay. And many others. She also runs AwesomelyTechie.com, a resource site for writers, small business owners, and everyday people looking to use technology to make their lives easier as an extension of her marketing expertise. Goddamn. In 2016, Lovey was selected as a part of Oprah Winfrey's inaugural Super Soul 100 <gasps> list okay. as someone who, quote, elevates humanity. Thank you. End quote. So she is amazing. You know what? Now that I... I think I have heard of her. Oh, really? Because I I never heard of her. I think in this... Uh, now hearing in the context, I mm-hmm. think I have heard of her. Yeah. But I awesome. think uh, her name on its own did not ring a bell, but in this context is. I think I found this book by just Googling like best intersectional self-help books or something like that. I love it. Um, her website also says that her love language is shoes and her superpower is her side eye. I love her and that's amazing. If we can create our own love language, I'm going to go ahead and redo mine. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Mine is dogs. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure mine is dogs and I cannot wait to have a dog. I know. You're going to have a great dog. So before we dive into the book, um, I want to be responsible and issue a trigger warning okay. for certain parts of the book um, that we will be covering in this episode. Mm-hmm. So Lovey writes about sexual violence against women mm-hmm. and rape culture. Okay. I promise I will give a 
proper trigger warning right before we dive into those sections. Okay. So you'll have a heads up if it's triggering for you. But if but if you want to listen to the rest of the episode, you can sort of skip ahead. Okay. So it's only one section, but make sure to take care of yourself and skip over that part or even skip the whole episode if you need to. Yeah. We love you and we want you to feel safe. Oh, Misty, that was so well done. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think it's something we all, you know, we we could use a lot more trigger warnings. I wish I could go back to the 90s and just put like a whole fucking trigger warning on that decade. <laughs> um, so as far as my first impressions of the book, when uh, the cover is super cute, it's gray and it features a photo of a red lollipop that has been given a little face that looks like a snarky side eye. So it's already yes. <laughs> it's already super cute. It's 254 pages and it was first published in September of 2016. Yes. So it's a relatively new book. Yes. And she actually, as you'll hear it in the end, she's had to go back and amend everything or, or excuse me, amend a lot of um, this the topic she covers because so much has happened since she turned in her draft yeah. of this manuscript in 2015. Okay. So she turned it in right, I think she turned it in in October of 2015 right as the election was heating up. So it's so she but thankfully in in the audiobook I was listening to she has this whole section that's like I didn't know X Y and Z was going to happen oh and God. she addresses a lot of that stuff. Amazing. So um so as soon as I started listening I could tell that it was going to be a funny, smart and well-written book. Does she read it? Yeah, she oh, does. Great. The author okay, reads good. it. Yeah, good, she's good, good. she's amazing and it's really fun to hear her words in her voice. So, Misty, what yeah. what is the book about? Great question. So, to me, the title, I'm judging you, uh, the Do Better Manual sounded like a self-help book to me. Okay. It is why I read it for this podcast. But she really is a pop culture critic. So, this is more a critique on major facets of modern society, okay. which I actually find to be incredibly helpful. Sure. So so I'll I'll tell you all the topics she covers as we as we dive in, but she basically does everything. Um oh, you know what? I'm gonna read you her little intro here because it it kind of explains it all. In her introduction, she asks did some of us not get a limited edition handbook with instructions on how not to suck? Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> Was there a boot camp on decency that some people missed the sign up for? Why are people terrible? In a world where we are more connected to each other than ever, yeah. with endless access to information at our fingertips, too many of us seem to have missed the message on how to behave. Yeah. She says we're living in a new world and there are now new rules. Five-year-olds and the Pope alike both have Instagram accounts. What? Well, she's not wrong. She's so fucking right. So she says we need a guide to help people get a bit of common sense and behavior as we navigate today's hyper obsessions with pop culture, social media sharing, and outright navel gazing. Um, which, by the way, what does that phrase specifically mean? Navel gazing. Well, I think in the days before we had Instagram, mm -hmm. to stare at your own belly button was just kind of like the the height of. Um, being self-centered and like, like self-obsessed. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I thought it was staring at other people's 
like navels and I was like that makes no sense to me I am me. 100% sure it's staring at your own navel well it's fine because every time I've heard that phrase and I've heard it many times I've never looked it up and have just assumed it's people staring at people's stomach tummies and if I'm wrong somebody write in please yeah please so she says this is where she doles out shade side eye and basic but necessary advice for the needy okay she promises this book will address everything from shallow quirks like beauty and hygiene to really problematic things like oppression inequality views on race and phobia-driven social systems that put uh, that people do that leave the world worse than they found it. This is a big promise. This is a huge promise. Does she deliver? She totally delivers. Oh, I am going to buy this book. Uh, I, lo- <laughs> I love that we're five minutes in and you're like, done. I'm done. Misty, uh, tell me no more about it. I don't want right. you to ruin it. And the truth is, I am very nervous about this episode because I want to do her work and her words justice. Sure. It's going to be hard to do that in an hour or an hour in, in a few minutes. Well, look, so. the bottom line is we can't do all of it. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so we're going to do the best that we can. And yeah. if people like the sound of it, like I like it, it just from the introduction, yeah. I'm going to buy the book. Oh, my gosh. And it's so it's so fun to listen to. Like I was laughing out loud and giggling I am going to make this one an audiobook. Yes. Oh, it's great. It's great. Um She's, I said that she's also very funny and says this book gives her a perfect excuse to judge people and even gives a shout out to, quote, shady babies everywhere who give no dams about your feelings, Mm -hmm. end quote. And Sophia Petrillo, her favorite golden girl. (gasps) Thank you. I know. Picture it. Thank you, Levy. 1920. That's right. (laughs) I know, Sicily 1920. Oh, my God. Um, Chapter one. Gosh, you're the worst. So in this chapter, she covers how constantly being late is terrible and says that as a Nigerian, she is admittedly always late and there's nothing she has not been late for. So she, by the way, she's very good to say I'm judging you for this and I do it too. I love that. Quick question. Yeah. Is is it is the book divided into sections or is it just chapter? Oh, it by is. Chapter? Yeah, I'm sorry. This is part one, life. Okay. Um. So next, she breaks down group dinners and covers what she calls dinner scrooges, of which she says there are three types. So real quick, what I love about this book is she starts with these very fun, light topics and uh-huh. kind of warms you up and slides into these heavier topics, uh-huh. and then gives you levity again on the the back end okay. as like a palate cleanser, sort of. Great. Um, which I, I really appreciated. So this book is great for people who want to know more but are, like, nervous about reading, like, a very, very heavy book. Great. Um, so, so the three types of dinner scrooges are – the first one is the one who orders a lot but wants to split the check evenly. Who now, does that? Oh, I know people who do that. And I'll tell you why I'm keenly aware of that because I am dinner scrooge number two, which is the person who calculates their bill – to the scent. And I wrote, oh, that's me in all caps. Um, because sometimes it really is easier to split the check evenly, which I, I will do. Uh, but not if there's somebody who got like five appetizers and the duck. Um, and then and then there's the person who leaves early and forgets to pay every time. Oh. She also covers toddlers, whom she jokingly calls short, mean teenagers. Thank you. And says they have no cooth and that we let them boss us around. She has very funny stories to back all of this up. But I am I'm going to quickly gloss through sure. um, a couple of the chapters so we can spend real time QT. on yeah quality time on on the As ones I know, that that's one of your love languages quality time girl yes i think that's your second love language listen just vacuum just vacuum and i will always be happy it's not hard that's why i'm in love with my room i thought you said fuck you yeah just yeah. fuck 
vacuum. No, just vacuum, Lisa. Okay, chapter two. Why must you suck at friendship? Um, Ajayi says good friends are often our lifelines, but we must remember friendship is a two-way street. Yes. So here she breaks down nine different types of friends. Oh, my God. And I'm just going to give us two as a taste Thank so you, you can understand. An amuse-bouche. Um, an amuse-bouche. Um, we say that often on the podcast, and Listen, I appreciate it. I do, too. So uh, one of the ones that stuck out to me was the SOS pal, because I have a couple of these. Oh, I'm this, that. I'm that to a couple friends. Well, this is the friend who only calls yep. when they need something. Yep. SOS pal also does not call to check up on you. It's about their pain. And you can end up feeling taken advantage of because the friendship is so one-sided. Yeah. She says we have all been SOS pals at one point or another. So check your last few messages to your friends. And if they've all been about you... Ask them how they are doing instead. I feel like I have a couple friends that we are both SOS pals for each other. We're just at the point in our life where we don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So we just reach out when we're like in dire need. And it actually works great. No, it's great because you're probably there for them too, which is great. I have a friend who literally, it's just only when she needs something, only. And she also talks about like the SOS pal also doesn't celebrate their successes with you. Mm. Like it's on, they only kind of show up when they're in need and then they're nowhere to be found. Or when you need someone, they're also nowhere to be found. Yeah. So I have a friend like that. Um, and then another one that, that stood out to me was the flake. This is your most unreliable friend. They can't help themselves. They love making plans and then sending you a vague, ex- a, a vague excuse as to why they can't make it. Um, so she breaks down nine different types of friends, which are are the competitor, the SOS pal, the adventurer, the Lannister, the surface, the frenemy, the enabler, the flake, and the holy roller. She says at one point or another, we've all been one of these friends, but the key is to not embody any of these traits. So, so okay. So mm-hmm. I like that she says, look, we're all these things at some point mm-hmm. because we all are because yep. everybody's flawed. Um, <clears throat> but then she says... Don't be these things as, like, the embodiment. Don't be this all the time. Yeah. Because sometimes you're just this thing because of what's happening in your life. Yes. And sometimes you can only give so much or not at all. And it's time. It's your turn to take or whatever. I do want to say, like, I I know we're going to move forward to the more important stuff. But I do feel a certain, like, kinship with my L.A. people. Before I lived in L.A., I used the term L.A. flaky very brazenly. Yes. And now having lived in LA, I understand LA flaky, which oh, is yeah. that you get an audition the night before and I have to cancel plans. Right. Or there's suddenly an hour uh traffic to the place that you were supposed to go and you're not going to go. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I think I'm just feeling judged by her, which is the whole point of the book. So it continue. Is. Well, the, her, I think her whole, I mean, and this is me interpreting it, but is to bring awareness about a ton of different things yeah. because awareness is the first step to being like, oh, hmm, maybe I can take action on that if yeah. should I want to. Yeah. So chapter three is called When Bayhood Goes Bad. Thank you. This chapter is about relationships. She tells a story about her friend's terrible relationship and says to lean in close and receive this truth. Behind every good-for-nothing man are bedroom skills beyond measure. She's not wrong. She says it's like the universe's way of balancing itself out. It's true. It's like just how when you're feeling over somebody, they fucking call you. That's right. 
They yeah. send you a text. Yeah, and she really elaborates on this. Um, it's a ve- it's a very funny beginning to this chapter. She uh, urges us to not get anyone's name tattooed on our body. Give them access to your Amazon Prime instead, mm. is what she says. Mm. So here's here's where so she's already. I dis- won't even do that. <laughs> I know. I know. She's also dis. She's already disarmed us with her humor. Yeah. And then she says. She also warns not to enable dysfunction when people royally mess up. You don't have to keep the mentality of ride or die and stay attached to someone's bad behavior when the relationship has soured. She also notes that the burden of ride or die expectations tend to land on women's shoulders who often don't get the same level of commitment from their men. I loved this quote, quote, Men do not get told repeatedly to stand by women no matter how much drama they bring into their lives. They get the message that they always have more choices. Meanwhile, women are always told to stand beside beside and behind our partners in spite of their foolishness, end quote. Yeah, I'm sorry. You don't remember that very famous Tammy Wynette song? Stand by your man. Oh, yeah. No, stand by your woman. That was the song, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, She says loyalty is different than co-signing on to stupidity and bad decisions. Mm -hmm. She believes that her relationships should push her to be a better person. Yeah, I think so, too. I feel like, yeah, that's a great distinction. Loyalty, blind loyalty Mm -hmm. is different. And I think you can say, look, part of me being loyal to you is wanting to help you be a better person. Yeah. So I do need to... That's right. Hold up a mirror and say, you're being a dummy. Well, and there there are a lot of women who stay with men even when they're in jail for long sentences, yeah. even when they've committed terrible crime. You know, it's like it's 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 so multifaceted and th- which is something she addresses, which I really appreciate because I'd never considered that before. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, just because somebody as I watched on the season finale of 90 Day Fiance, um, <laughs> just because somebody does something that hurts you doesn't mean you stop loving them immediately. So I think it's that disconnect that makes it hard for people to yeah. end a relationship or to make it move into the next phase. Yeah. So I, I, I think it – and we're not taught how to do that. No, we're not. And I, I think I th- what really resonated with me about what she was saying is the messaging we receive as women yeah. is – do be loyal no matter what. Have that unconditional yeah. love. Have that. And men don't don't always get the same messages. So well, that yeah, was cool. So that combined with this, what your natural yeah. human experience is of yeah. like, they did something that was hurtful, but I don't immediately stop loving them. I can see how with that with that messaging would make it a turn Very into a ride or complicated. Die. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So chapter four is called Under the Knife. Thank you. In this chapter, she judges society's, uh, this is a quote, quote, society's shallowness, our impossible beauty standards, and our desperation to reach them, end quote, including the absurdity of anal bleach. She says, if you Google the word beauty, you will be confronted with pages and pages of white women. Yeah. And that our society equates beauty with lightness. Yeah. She talks about the white is right mentality that permeates so many cultures and how caste systems exist based on color, usually with black and brown people at the bottom of the ladder. Centuries of hailing whiteness as the goal has made too many people believe that their dark skin nullifies their beauty and they internalize this message enough to turn to lightening their skin. Yeah, there's like a whole market of skin lightening Yes, and she she talks about it. She says... um, 
skin bleaching, which is also known as toning, is a global issue. Ajayi says that in Nigeria, a country filled with melanin-rich black people, light is still the ideal and stores are littered with creams encouraging people to bleach their skin. Yeah, and their marketing and advertising is all... Yes. It's a different beauty standard that is... But but she's even saying in these countries that are predominantly... Yeah. You know, black and brown people of dark pigment. Yeah. It's still permeating there. So she says far too many people bleach without a dermatologist's supervision so it can go awry. Mm. Quote, society has failed people to the point where they feel they cannot like themselves in the skin they were born in. With our constant need to be beautiful, the message is that our original selves are never enough. That's End so quote. true. And I love that she's calling it out. It's And, and of course, this is something that that I, as a white woman, am not aware of at all. Mm -hmm. And this is why I'm so excited that we are doing, you know, we are trying to be as intersectional as we can on this podcast because I've never had to even look at skin bleach. I never even knew toning was a thing. I take for granted that I am surrounded by images that reflect my likeness, my whiteness, that I'm reflected in advertising everywhere. It's not something, it's, it's my white privilege. Yeah, and so part of, like, I've really kind of become aware in the last, I would say, three years of um, what used to be called body positivity and is now called body liberation. Mm. And part of that is um, having a wider variety of images in mass marketing and media yes. so that we don't see a thin, white female yes. um, who is beautiful, quote-unquote quote, quote unquote, beautiful, as the ideal. Yes. But that there are people of different abilities, different races, different sizes, different ages that are presented so that we see an, a reflection of ourselves. Yes, and you may have heard um, on the NPR, mm-hmm. as you love to call it, mm-hmm. there was a wedding shop, I think in London or somewhere in the UK, that this story went totally, completely bananas viral because they did something that they felt was totally normal, but the world lost their minds. They put a mannequin in a wedding dress in a wheelchair in their storefront window. Yeah. And so many people burst into tears because they were like, they they never, you know, people of different abilities don't normally see themselves in storefront windows. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, it it goes everywhere, different body types, but that's actually her next chapter is on. I'm going to do one more tangent. Within the last couple of weeks, Trevor Noah, um, Went to see the new movie with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart, where Brian Cranston plays uh, a person in a wheelchair. Right. And then he was like, I was online and I was watching this, you know, people saying, well, why couldn't somebody, why didn't they get an actor who was yeah. actually in a right. wheelchair? And Great question. Yeah. And he was like, look, immediately I was like, no, Brian Cranston is amazing. And he's like, and then I thought about it. And there was this person who said, you know, I'm. I'm an actor in a wheelchair and like here's an opportunity where I could actually play the role it was written for me and they immediately give it to Brian Cranston and Trevor Noah was like you know that's amazing I never thought about that and it really got me thinking and da 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 and people were really lauding Trevor Noah for that and I saw this great thread on Twitter which was from a woman in a wheelchair and she was like listen I love that we're talking about it but when you treat treat the oh I never thought about it that way Mm. is just reinforcing this idea that we don't exist in the mainstream yeah and that instead of saying oh I never thought about it that way people in wheelchair can be actors check yourself yes check the way you're using your language yeah and just say you know I 
learned something today that yeah. I have a bias. Yeah, and that's actually a microaggression. It is. Which it, which she covers in this book. Yes. And so yes. it's really interesting. And it, it I think it was helpful to see that, like, you know, look, people who do a lot of good and people who are typically very well versed mm-hmm. and are very facile in the way that they use language. I mean, I've watched Trevor Noah interview Tammy, whatever her name is, um, Tommy Lauren, I think mm. is, isn't that her something? You know, she's from do you know who I'm talking about, Sav? Tommy, she's like a right wing. Yeah, conservative. Yeah. She came on the show and he was so adept and deft and like speaking with her. But, you know, then it shows your blind spot and Mm -hmm. then the way you speak about it. So I just really think this is a nice way to start saying, you know, um, I I love that you said this is something that I'm not aware of. It's my white privilege. And I, I, I would love for us to say a step further here's what I can do about that or here's how I'm going to take an action yes. out of that, right? Yes, because it is one thing to be aware, but, you know, what? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, We're going to get, I'm no, no, no. Place of it. No, I, and I love that you brought that up. Yeah. And I love that sometimes it's hard to put it into words. Yeah. Because Lovey in this book gave me language for all of this. Good, good, good. So stand by. Good, good, good. So we're still in chapter four called Under the Knife. Okay. Um. So so uh, hopping back in, um, we're talking about skin bleaching and toning and how how um, completely widespread that is, this global issue. She also covers a lot about plastic surgery in this chapter, which was both very funny and very poignant. Mm-hmm. She ends this chapter by saying, quote, everyone hates how they look. Everyone wants what we don't have, and everyone is stuck in a cycle of so-called self-improvement that is really self-defeating. Do better, everyone, end quote. So chapter five is called Wait a Minute, but it's W-E-I-G-H-T. So Mm -hmm. it's wait. She judges fat shaming. So by the way, she starts every chapter saying what she judges because it's called I'm Judging You. Right. So she judges fat shaming. It's She says, quote, it's so commonplace and normalized that people do not consider how humiliating it can be to be ridiculed for existing in their own body, Mm -hmm. end quote. It's the same for transgender. It's the same for any LGBTQ. Yes. It's it's the same. Exactly. But it is permissible in a way that is not uh, for others. She says fat jokes are the discount rack version of comedy and calls it lazy, low-hanging fruit. She says fat phobia is ingrained in everything we do and say surrounding beauty and attractiveness and that we tell people that their allure as humans is based almost exclusively on the number on the scale and that this is damaging to our psyche. She criticizes the fashion industry. They should be making clothes for the actual women who are going to buy it, not just the models who wear it. Mm -hmm. The average woman is a size 14, but who would know that given vanity sizing? She says that well-built women can rock any fashion, but they aren't even a consideration in the fashion world and their beauty is seen as an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. She says these standards don't apply as strictly to men, again, and that... uh, and that that is an extra layer of bullshit in the get the fuck out of here lasagna, as she calls I it. I love that. It is starting to change, I will say. Men are starting, more men are having um, eating disorder. Well, and and I was talking to Zach about this because I said, you know, I, I do have this idea that you, you know, you can just throw on whatever and you yeah. look good and it doesn't matter and you don't have to wear makeup. He was like, Misty, when's the last time you looked at the cover of a men's health magazine? Because I am yeah. told that I need to have 
biceps the size of your head and an APAC abs. And not only do I need to be over six feet tall, but I need to be like 220 pure muscle. And I was like, oh, I I hadn't realized that that is there for men as I well. I mean, can you name another show like The Sopranos since The Sopranos in terms of male casting? Queer Eye. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're all so beautiful and wonderful. But do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah. That show, since that time, mm-hmm. and that was in, that ended in what, 2000? I mean. Five, six? Yeah. A long time ago. I can't think of a single show that has more than one or two Men who are older, balding, yeah, but heavy, yeah, not what I would call yeah. handsome, yeah. So it, I, I, he's right, yeah, yeah, he is right. But, it's changing for them. Well, and something that she also addresses, though, it is changing for but them. It's still lagging, but compared to us. even those men in sitcoms, if they do get cast, always have a smoking hot wife. Oh fuck yeah! So it's like they are getting different messaging um, than we are, but it is shifting. Thank God. Um, Although I don't know if it's shifting for the better, because now they're catching up in terms of their having body image, right? Like, yeah, I, 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 it's shifting in. The- oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. I meant, I meant like it's shifting where we are all sort of going. Why do we feel the need to look this way? I don't know. Well, yeah, I get, well, yeah, maybe not shifting, but I am hearing more conversation about it. I agree. So she cites examples where uh, the guy is big, but his wife is skinny in TV. Uh, any Kevin the James Simpsons, sitcom. The Honeymooners, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Married with Children, The King of Queens, or any sitcom. She names a ton more. She says this highlights the unfair standards that women have to adhere to while men get the message that they just have to show up. She asks us to imagine a movie where a plus-size woman is the lead. And that that is probably longer than any Hollywood exec has ever thought about it. That's funny. Also, I would invite you to look at any red carpet step and repeat. Mm-hmm. Women are always climbed up to the nine, yep. nines. And unless it's like black tie, yeah. dudes are kind of rocking a t-shirt. I know. I know. I know. It's cool. Um, Ajayi says, no wonder eating disorders are out of control, and conversely talks about how seemingly empowering messages like real women have curves can actually be damaging to women whose bodies don't have many curves. Yeah. She spends a good chunk covering thin shaming, too. It's all there. She says, instead of real women have curves, she suggests we try something like real women breathe. Yeah. Also, did you know that children (laughs) are 92 times more likely to develop an eating disorder than they are? Our diabetes. Oh, babies. So this whole idea of like obesity, childhood obesity is there, but also Yeah. We've we've swung the pendulum to like a very dangerous place. Everybody just needs to relax. Mm -hmm. I had a therapist whose whose favorite book was Does Every Woman Have an Eating Disorder? And I'm reading it, and it's amazing. Oh, my God. Should Mm -hmm. we cover it? No. It's terrifying. Okay. Uh, Chapter six is Don't Be a Pig Pen. So it gets a little lighter here. She has a caveat at the beginning of this chapter that this does not apply to depressed, disabled, or homeless people. Or actual pigs. Right. Um, No, but I I love that she had that caveat. She was like, if you are depressed— if you were disabled, Catch yourself if a you break. were homeless, like these don't, these maybe don't apply to you. So uh, we'll go through this very quickly. Shower regularly. Sure. Wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Thank you. Wash your bras regularly. Some women admit to only washing their everyday bras once per year. I'm sorry, what? That's right. So this is where I paused and I Googled. 
uh, and I said, by the way, I did some quick Googling, and the internet at large recommends you wash your bra after every three to four wears. And you shouldn't wear it day to day. You should let it rest in between. Otherwise. You should let it breast in between. That's right. Or if you're Marie Kondo, you go... Thank you, bra. You get the day off. You've done a good that. job yeah. holding me in. Um, if you don't do this, it can grow yeast, yeah. bacteria, yeah. fungi, other microorganisms that can give you a rash, cause acne around the area of your bra, and even chafe your nipples. Well, also, I would like to say that mm-hmm. bras can be very expensive. Yes. Especially, mm-hmm. uh, I have large breasts. Yeah. I cannot get a good bra for under $70. Yes, and... I do not have very large breasts, and it wasn't until I started spending like 68 or 70 bucks on a bra that I actually got a quality bra. Yeah. I was buying Victoria's Secret forever, and, and that it's shit terrible. doesn't last. It you wash it like last. four or five times, it's done. I went to Target. I went to Victoria's yeah. Secret. I went, but like, anyway, hand brush, hand washing will make them last longer. Who has time for that? Wash them on a gentle cycle. Lay them flat to dry. With a little okay. um, lingerie bag to keep them. Yes, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. can clip the clasp clothes. Yes, and that will also help. Your mother and my mother were really on the same. I did page. not learn this from my mother. Oops. Learn this from the internet. Thank Love you, mom. Uh, so we're still on Don't Be a Pig Ben. Mm-hmm. Regarding ashiness, she says light-skinned and dark-skinned people alike need to moisturize. True. Quote, get thee some lotion, end quote. She says lack of good body butter is why the Olsen twins, who were born in 1986, look the same age as Nia Long, who was born in 1970. Uh, she also says, she's so funny. She also says, wash your jeans. Do not create denim mutant robots because you act allergic to laundry detergents. Yeah. I had someone at Madewell when I was purchasing a pair of jeans. I was like, so how do I wash these? What do I do? Because I used to, like, some people are like, oh, I never wash my jeans. And I'm like, that's gross. You sweat. Like, maybe don't wash them every time. But also, like, it's up in your business. Right. Yeah. It's icky. Um, they told me to, like, spot treat with vodka and put my jeans in the freezer. Well, the cold will kill germs, and mm. vodka is alcohol that will kill germs. Um, what that tells me is that they don't think that their material can withstand washing and drying. Well— It'll stretch. It. I almost exclusively wear Madewell jeans because they always have great sales. Mm-hmm. Don't buy full price from Madewell. They always have great sales. Um, and I have worn some until they've had holes that cannot be repaired and have been patched three and four times. Mm-hmm. They hold up beautifully. So, well, then maybe not. Yeah, but and they were just saying, like, if you want to last forever. But I like to uh, rub holes in the thighs of my jeans. That's my favorite way to ruin them. Um, <laughs> so now we're in part two, culture. Okay. So she talks about humans, how humans are great at using our differences, which are often things completely out of our control. True. Like what race, place, or income level we're, we're born into. True. And using them as excuses to mistreat others. I love it. She says we have created rigid and invisible systems that keep some people at the top on the backs of others at the bottom based on their identity markers. It's so confusing to me when people don't think that this is a real thing. Well, again, privilege is invisible until you until someone makes you aware you don't even realize. I like mean, I get yes, I guess. I think I'm just listen, I'm a true Aquarian. I'm all about community, <laughs> as somebody told me recently, and I believe it. Mm-hmm. Um but also like uh, privilege views equality as oppression. Yeah. So yep. So so I can tell immediately when somebody has privilege because when you ask them to 
share mm. and have equality, they immediately get really upset about it. Yeah, and we she covers this too. This Great. is an amazing book. But until I was in college and my women's studies professor in my very first women's studies class ever said, have you ever heard of white privilege? Do you know what that is? I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. And if you want to learn more about this, you can Google what is white privilege and so or you can read Lovey's book. There's so many great resources. For example, if I want to go buy a toy for my baby cousin, mm-hmm. I will walk into the toy aisle. I will be surrounded by images of white children. Yeah. Maybe there will be one or two minorities in there. One or two marginalized groups. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. but a friend of mine wanted to go buy a toy for her sister's kid who is mixed race and she could not find any toy that except for maybe like, like a Bratz doll, which yeah. is problematic in itself, that looked like her. So it's like you have to shop special online. That is a privilege. That is. is a privilege. But how do you – you don't even notice it's out of the ordinary because it's what is yeah. every day for Listen, you. Listen, I guess you're being very generous and kind to people who may not have uh, thought about this. And You don't know what you don't know. You're, And I love that. And, and you are. And I, I think my – uh, Aquarian nature mm-hmm. ma- matched with my very like German background, so German <laughs> I'm Prussian is like well once you've heard of it, you kind of can't not. That's but right. I-, I don't think that's also true for a lot of people. I also think speaking of bubbles we're in that we find normalized, we live in Los Angeles, California. This is a liberal, mm-hmm. educated mm-hmm. diversity. So if you if anybody is listening to this right now and this is sounding new. That's okay. Don't judge yourself for that. This is a an opportunity to get educated, to learn a little bit more, to get curious. Because I didn't know any of this until I was like twenty one. Well, I didn't know until I was much later because yeah. also I'm older than you, and and people weren't really talking we about weren't it talking or putting about it, it into words. I guess I just I think what's hard for me, and I'll just say this, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's related to the book, so I apologize, Misty, because you're doing a great job of oh, keeping us on. Track. This is all lovey. It's all I'm just quoting. Uh, but lovey. you're doing a great job of keeping us on track, is what okay. I'm saying. Um, is that like it's hard for me when people think that privilege doesn't exist when 400 years ago this year uh, slaves were brought over from the continent of Africa yep. and we only had the civil rights movement 50 years ago. Oh, we, we're going to cover this. So yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it's hard for me. It's just truly hard for me logistically for people to be like, yeah, no, privilege is not a white privilege is not a thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I guess do. that's the way my very logical brain works in that sense on the German Prussian side and also my emotional side on my Aquarian of being like, that's not fair. I also want to say, if you're still listening and this is new (laughs) to you, thank you for still being here. And I also want to say, acknowledging your privilege doesn't change any of your hardship. Oh, we are going to cover this too. (gasps) Yeah, I'm a segue queen. Keep going. You are the segue queen. Um, And also, if you are feeling defensive at the word privilege right now, if you're feeling defensive about anything, um, we're talking about, I've been there. Uh, People I know and love and respect like crazy have also been there. Bear with us. Stay curious. Stay open. Um, So we'll get there. So as Jensen uh, Cheryl said, stay open or die. Oh, my God. Yes, she did, which is just opens me right up. I just blossomed. 
Jesus. Um, so she um, she says we've created rigid and invisible systems that keep some people at the top on the backs of others at the bottom based on their identity markers. Yes. And that there is no incentive to change these systems of inequality because being at the top of the food chain is the place everybody wants to be. She yeah. says that she's judging all of us for being, quote, Culture vultures, homophobic jackasses, racist trolls, sexist douchebags, and born-again hypocrites. So she's quote. saying everybody does that in some sense or fashion. Uh, <clears throat> no, not everybody. Oh, okay. Not I, everybody. I heard that. Um, well, she was just saying, well, of course you don't want to help dismantle these systems. If you're at the top of the food chain, everybody wants who's there wants to be there. Sure. Um, and by the way— uh, if you are bristling at the born-again hypocrites remark, I'm going to, spoiler alert, let you know, Lovey is a, a very—I I, I don't know if devout is the right word, but she's a Christian. She mm-hmm. identifies as Christian, and she loves Jesus, and she talks about that, but she also judges a lot of religion and what it can do and be damaging, yeah. too. So I feel like Lovey and I are— you would get along so well. I know, Lovey. Can we be friends? Lovey. I will not be a flake friend. So chapter seven, racism is for assholes. Yes. So I have to say, by the way, I know that in the news, in pop culture, in conversations with friends, in colleges, in high schools, everywhere, people are talking about really intimidating topics like feminism, racism, body issues, things that can seem very inaccessible or I know sometimes I just want to turn my brain off rather than get educated sure. because I can feel flooded. I can feel sure. um, overwhelmed. But it can this feel is, insurmountable. It can feel like, well, what can I as one person do? Well, and do? it can also feel like if you're walking into a room where everyone is seemingly passionately talking about knowing all the ins and outs of these things and you don't, it can be very easy to go, well, I don't know anything about that and I'm never going to be able to catch up. I feel stupid, so I'm going to shut that out. So Yeah, also nobody knows everything about nobody, all these things. No, yeah. and if you know nothing at all, this is a wonderful, wonderful book to get some what? big chunks yes. of perspective on this. So so I say this because if you were like, oh, great, it's a chapter about racism, like I'm going to skip over it. A, only people who have privilege don't have to think about racism. True. Um, and B, it's – I loved this chapter. And this is coming from someone who I am trying to be as open and intersectional as possible. I consider myself a feminist. I'm liberal. I'm educated. And I still want to shut my brain off from these issues. So sure. I just want to be open about how how sometimes being, you know, these coming at me from all directions day in and day out, it can be hard to absorb all of the information. So Yeah, it absolutely can. And I don't think people can 24-7. Yeah. There's too much happening in yeah. our country. So you this have is, to turn it off So sometimes. I found this such an accessible book. So I to, love that. So to dive into this chapter, chapter seven, Racism is for Assholes. I put a little note to myself at the top um, to say that this chapter is amazing. Mm. It is complex. It's detailed. It's heartbreaking. And it's also funny in mm. moments. Mm-hmm. I cannot possibly do it justice on this podcast. So I invite everyone to read this chapter for themselves. 
but here are some highlights. Great. So Lovey talks about how racism is the foundation of what America was built on, how police have body slammed young black girls who were swimming at pools and have killed countless unarmed people for the crime of living while black. There have been nooses spotted hanging on college campuses Mm -hmm. in modern day. And when she wrote this book in 2015, there were 892 hate organizations active in the United States, the majority of which promote white supremacy. She says, this is exhausting. She says racism is not just random people burning churches and black people being gunned down in the streets by cops. Rather, racism is a system of oppression that is so deep and omnipresent that it seeps into every single aspect of our lives and is as American as apple pie drizzled with canned cheese topped with French fries. Mm -hmm. She says the red stripes on the American flag are really the blood of black people and many centuries after the country's creation, these stains have still not faded. Wow. She says, racism is stupid as hell. <laughs> it makes no sense, especially here. Quote, the United States of America is a country founded on the labor, labor and literal bodies of black and brown people who were minding their own business when white people came forth to kill and exploit them, end quote. She goes on to remind us that America was discovered by Christopher Columbus, a dude who did not know how to read a map. Um, <laughs> she reminds us how fucked up our country's founding was, stealing land that wasn't theirs, slaughtering Native Americans, then capturing black people to be slaves. Her point is that America does not have a history of integrity and fairness. Racism is not a byproduct, but the foundation of this country, which I'd never fully synthesized in my brain. Because I keep thinking, oh, can't we be fair? And can't we? We never have been, ever. So the success of the country is based on the oppression of black and brown people. And that's why America as a whole doesn't give a damn about racial inequality. She also pointed out in the section that there are textbooks in Texas that use the word workers Mm -hmm. instead of slaves, Mm -hmm. which is beyond fucked up. There's a great documentary called The Revisionaries or The Revisionists. And it's about how because Texas is such a huge state and has so many students that what their board of education decides kind of determines textbook content for many children around the country. Well, in the ripple effect of like – Years and years and generations and their kids yeah. and and whatever. So it it really explores how some people have re truly rewritten history truly rewritten. for yeah. school children because yeah. they have decided what is allowed and what is not allowed in textbooks for That's Texas, right. yeah. which has a yeah. interesting demographic. And remember, that is not only reflective. the only the winners of any battle get to write the books about the, it. The, from the victors come the spoils, right. or. The history is written by the victors, victorious, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would also just like to quickly say, yeah. um, I'm going to turn it to Misty. If this is really not sitting well with you at this moment mm-hmm. to hear your country being spoken about in this way, mm-hmm. I invite you to acknowledge that um, and to just allow for the possibility of two things that aren't congruent to be true. And yeah. that for you, this has not been your experience. And that for someone else, It has been their experience. Mm -hmm. And that what sounds like your country is not what somebody else is experiencing as as your country, but it's also their country too. So it is very difficult, I think, for for a lot of people. I mean, my Grammy is 107 and a half. She's part of the greatest generation. It's really hard for her 
to understand and hear that people think the American dream is broken, that it's not real, and that, you know, it's very hard for her to hear that because the woman has lived through three wars and has, like, suffered and given a lot to this country. Yes. That being said, I think that we... Uh, I like what what this what part of what makes this country great is that it is a vision of different people and not one. Yes. And the diversity does make us great. And so the fact that you're having this resistance, I think, is a good thing. Yeah. And I think if you can be open to letting people have their own experience instead yeah. of trying to tell them what it is. I love that. And I'm not trying to sound like lovey, Ajayi, at all. I'm just trying to say I can understand. Previously, where we're too far, where I was like, I don't understand how anybody would feel this way. I do understand how when <laughs> it comes really to like— You've really done a 360 or a 180. <laughs> yeah, but with your country, I think, like, and not about a, a system or like a, a, a concept, yeah. but about your experience in your country. Yeah, and I want to jump in and say that something that she addresses, which we will get to, is you— may not personally hold racist views yeah, and can still be living in a racist country. So nobody is saying like, oh, hey, Sarah, who's listening to the podcast. Oh, I didn't didn't mean your best best friend. friend. I meant like I was trying to do like Mary, you know, like a name that's common. Or John. Or John. Yeah. I guess I'm just assuming it's only women listening. Hi. Oh, also, shout out to the one person in New Zealand who's been listening. We see you. Hello. We see you. Good day. And the four people in Finland. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, statistics online. So, uh, so this is a lot of context. So let's get into the self-helpy part of this. Yes. So she asks, so how do we fight racism and racial injustice? Yeah. As an individual, it's so hard. Yeah. And here's her answer. She's not sure. <laughs> but, I love it. But she thinks part of it is that racists must recognize themselves and everyone must see how they're contributing to the system, even if they themselves don't consider themselves racist yeah. or hold racist views. Yeah, I think somebody is, <clears throat> right now it's not enough to just not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Exactly. And here is something that I have only wrapped my mind around in the last couple of weeks. And I think I was talking to you about this a little while ago. Nice people can be racist. Yeah. Because racism does not depend on malicious intent. No. And by the way, it's really easy to discern like a, a blatant racist. Yes. You know, from from a wonderful ally. Yeah. It's all the in-between yeah. that gets really hard. It is not, she says, it is not a requirement for you to hate someone who is of another skin color um, in order for you to be a racist. I think that's really important, and I think it's really hard to hear. So I have taken it upon myself to really try to educate myself as much as possible, Mm -hmm. to try to become more intersectional, Mm -hmm. um, to try to become more aware and sensitive and own up to my privilege, acknowledge my privilege, and do what I can to um, help even the playing field where I can. That being said, I will still... We are all racist if we are participating in a racist society. Yes, yes. And so, we, yeah. To kind of owning that and acknowledging that without taking personal accountability, yeah. I think is important. And once it you is. can say, listen, I am benefiting. Yeah. As a white person, I benefit from the world kind of being set up for me. Yeah. Um, just as much as I would want men to acknowledge that the world is kind of set up for them. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And not say that they're bad or anything like that. It's really hard to do. It is. But I think that it helps. I think it just yeah. opens our mind a little bit. Yeah. 
It does. Yeah, that's wonderful. And just just the awareness yeah. is a huge step. So um, she says, prejudice can be self-conscious, like your reaction to clutch your purse tighter when a black boy steps onto an elevator you're riding. Racism doesn't just look like people in white hoods burning crosses. Right. In fact, this cartoonish depiction of racists and racism is why some people think racism is all gone yes. and we have nothing to worry about. Yes. She says, white supremacy is ultimately the point of racism, which is why black and brown people cannot will it away or protest it away. White people have to do it. Yeah. They have to fight for change. This is why, she says, black people need white allies who are willing to get uncomfortable, yeah. who are willing to stop their families in the middle of their racist jokes. It will not be comfortable to speak up, but if allies do not speak out to those closest to them, how can we ever progress? I had a real insight because uh, during the 2016 election, I did my best to be tolerant, especially on my Facebook page. Mm. Um, uh, I didn't allow anybody to say anything um, uh, untoward or to God, that must say have been anything. A full time job. Well, I just because I still believe this way. I don't think that social media is the way to do it, but I still believe that we have to have an exchange of ideas in order to grow and to collaborate and yeah. to cooperate. Mm -hmm. it, it, we're we're such in our own echo chambers. We have to be able to hear one another and truly listen. But people got really mad because there were people saying uncomfortable things, mm -hmm. right? That they didn't agree with and they were like, "Why are you yeah. friends with this person?" You yeah. should. and I was like, "Don't tell me a what to do on my page. I get to decide what I want to do on my page." And as long as people aren't attacking one another or saying like vicious things i'm trying to promote an exchange of ideas again i don't think social media is the answer but i did read this thing about philosophers saying being tolerant of intolerance is not the answer mm -hmm. because if you truly take that to the nth degree at some point tolerant people will be run over by intolerance yeah and they won't be able you won't be able to resist that's exactly right and she covers that too oh my god i know i know because she basically says like and we'll get to this chapter, but she basically is like, don't be so quick to write off other people's problems because they could be your problems very soon. Well, yeah. And so I think what was that was a nice turning point for me to say, OK, I can't just say everybody can have their opinion and we have to listen and be nice. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. have to at some point say and I do say I disagree with you. Yep. Um, and I have to figure out for me what's comfortable, whether it's saying you're not allowed in yeah. my space. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I have to figure that out. So if you are hearing a lot of um, these terms like we've got to dismantle racism from the inside and it's it's the responsibility of the majority group, et cetera, and that sounds overwhelming to you because, by the way, it sounds very overwhelming it to is. me. It's it's mostly about having conversations with people around you, speaking up mm -hmm. when you are seeing racist or misogynist actions or ageist or ableist or anything yeah. like that and saying, no, no, we don't fucking stand for that. And you're not allowed to talk that way and you're not allowed to treat people that way. And it's as simple as who's the person in front of you? Can you stand up in that moment? It can be that simple. Because sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's your boss and you can't afford to lose your job. That's right. But sometimes it's your cousin. Yeah. And you can afford to 100%. have a conversation. Or your friend. Yep. And it, by the way, it is very uncomfortable. And I, I've done it with Same. my family and other people's Same. family that I'm close with. It's always uncomfortable. But there have been shifts, which has and been I'm, amazing. I feel better for it's it. It's worthwhile. Um, <clears throat> so 
She says that racism is not always hoods and crosses. Sometimes it's suits and boardrooms. She says black and brown people are told to work twice as hard to get half as far and never have to stop auditioning for the jobs they already have. Yes. Um, which is something I have I have not experienced and that was a real that was a real um moment for me. People often assume that if a person of color has a job, it must be because of affirmative action. Mm. She has a lot of good and gut-wrenching facts in this chapter, like how black people with college degrees often make the same as or less than a white person with a high school diploma. She says we talk about women in the glass ceiling, but for black people, there's an iron gate. And for black women, a glass ceiling with iron reinforcements. She also talks about the common perception that black kids are just short adults. They're often treated and tried in the criminal justice system as adults, something that does not happen with white children. And and it's true. Yeah, it's I mean, true. look at any of the kids and teens that have been murdered by cops. Mm-hmm. She says the fact is that it's not safe to be a black person in America, even when and sometimes especially when you're simply exercising your rights. Mm-hmm. So um, we're I'm going to start to speed up a little bit on this. So as far as education goes, some quick facts. Black students are three times as likely to be expelled or suspended from schools mm-hmm. as white children. Mm-hmm. As far as the media goes, when black and brown people have to travel to another country for work, they're called immigrants. Uh, white people are called expats. Sure. Uh, when there's a large group of white people gathering, the media will call them revelers. When it's a group of black and brown people, the riot. media, they will call them rioters. Even though the majority of mass shootings are committed by white men, they're often referred to in a way that doesn't condemn their entire racial group. They're lone wolves. They're, yes, they're seen as disturbed loners mm-hmm. or struggling with mental health issues, mm-hmm. while black and brown people who do the same thing are immediately labeled terrorists. Mm-hmm. And I want to take a moment to say white men who walk into a fucking place a planned parenthood a restaurant a fucking music festival in las vegas and shoot everyone they are terrorists yes make no mistake about it in this chapter she talks about the misconceptions of black crime and the way the media misrepresents black victims she also writes more about the modern attitudes toward the history of slavery she says quote until America is ready to turn the mirror on itself and address the giant pink elephant in the room, we cannot fix any of this, end quote. And Lovey Ajay is judging us for it. So chapter eight, the privilege principle. This chapter is about microaggressions, which Ajayi says usually come from white people who consider themselves to be liberal, educated, and progressive. Mm-hmm. That's me. Uh, I consider myself all of those things. So I'm glad that she covered microaggressions because I sort of understood it. Well, they're not intentional. Well, they're not intentional and they're very nuanced. Yeah. So um, I'm really glad she covered it because it was a learning moment for me. typically not intentional. They can be. Right. So she uses uh, the following example of a microaggression. A white person who tells a black or brown person how well-spoken and articulate they are. Right. They often mean it earnestly as a compliment, but it is a back candid compliment that showcases how little society expects of minorities. Well, it implies that I didn't expect you to be well-spoken in the first place. Exactly. She says she doesn't know what's better, a blatant bigot or an oblivious racist. Racism that isn't obvious is hard to see and for white people to acknowledge. Many people who don't consider themselves racist also view the world as not being racist. I'm going to say that one more time just so it sinks in in case you want to hear it again. Many people who don't consider themselves racist also view the world 
as not being racist. But that makes perfect sense with yeah. their hermeneutical lens. That's right. Because feedback it's bubble. Only what you yeah, exper- that's it's right. only what you experience. This is problematic because they can't even see the racism that they're benefiting from that allows them to view the world from that skewed perspective. Yeah. Being quiet about... Uh, racism or choosing not to acknowledge it means you are part of the problem, no matter how non-racist you consider yourself. This is why we must talk about race, she says, and we must do it openly. Mm -hmm. Many people feel defensive when they hear the word privilege. Mm -hmm. But Ajayi says it's not about you. So she, she illustrates this point with this fucking beautiful example. She, She talks about an exercise she did while she was in college. A very diverse group of people all started standing next to each other shoulder to shoulder in one line. The person leading the exercise would read a statement, and if that statement applied to you, you would either move forward, move backward, Mm -hmm. or stay in place. Some of the statements went like this. Take a step forward if you've never had to worry about where your next meal would come from. Take a step back if you've ever felt judged because of the color of your skin. Take a step forward if you can legally get married to the person you love. Take a step back if your name has ever been pronounced incorrectly. At the end of the exercise, which was about 30 statements, Lovey says that they all looked around the room to see where everyone was, which were all different places, and to observe a pattern to see who was in front of them and who was behind them. Unsurprisingly, the... Uh, the people in the very front were the straight white men in the class. Mm-hmm. Lovey was in the middle because she's heterosexual, Christian, middle class, and cisgender. The people behind her were those that identified as three or four different marginalized group groups like gay, poor, Muslim, etc. She says this exercise changed her world because mm. it showed her that although we start in the same place on paper, we quickly find ourselves ahead or behind in the world. Yeah. She says, quote, our privileges are the things not within our own control that push us forward and move us ahead from that starting line. Acknowledging them does not mean you are admitting to doing something to purposefully contribute to someone else's oppression or marginalization. Nay, friends, it means you recognize that some parts of your identity put you in a better position than others. It means that something about you assists your progress in the race of life. It also means that whatever majority group you belong to has likely contributed to the oppression of another. Knowing our our privilege does not make us villains, but it should make us more conscious of the parts we play in the systems that are greater than us. It should make us be more thoughtful. It should humble us. And whiteness is often the biggest privilege. I highly recommend a reading this chapter. It is amazing. Um, and then I, I made a note. We're going to move a lot more quickly through the rest of the book. Uh, this is when I stopped trying to cover every single chapter because there were quite a few of them. And I found myself wanting to write down literally everything she was saying. It's such a good book. So here are some highlights from the rest of the chapters. She talks about what it was like to come to America from Nigeria, um, where she was born. And she was super confident there, very well off, private school, belonged in every room she entered, to suddenly coming to America and being judged by the one identity marker, her skin, that was was most obvious to others, and how frustrating it can be when ignorant people lump everyone in Africa into one single entity. This is something I'd never thought about before. Mm-hmm. She reminds us that Africa is not a country. It is yeah, the I hear second. That all the time. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. It is the second biggest continent in the world. She said something like, "You can put like Europe, America, oh, yeah. and China in Africa with room to spare, mm-hmm. like all of that landmass." 
It's the media that perpetuates the monolithic story of Africa. She says Africa has a PR problem and Olivia Pope needs to fix it. Mm -hmm. This chapter made me want to visit Africa so badly because she describes it as this modern. And she's like, I am writing this from the private pool at my hotel room overlooking the metropolis. And I'm like, wow, I never thought of Africa that way. But I'm only I've never been. So I'm only receiving the messages the media gives me. Um. She says stereotypes are not problematic because they're untrue, but because they're incomplete. Mm -hmm. They make one story the single story. Mm -hmm. So, my friends, here is where that trigger warning is coming in. Skip ahead or stop the episode if you are triggered by mentions of sexual violence against women or rape. I'll give you a minute. Okay, here we go. Uh, so <clears throat> this this chapter is called Rape Culture is Real and It Sucks. She does a beautiful takedown of catcalling and how it's proof of the mindset that permeates our culture that women's purpose is to please men. She talks about how street harassment has led to bodily harm and death for women when the men who are catcalling didn't like the woman's response. Mm-hmm. She has great tips about how to approach women in a respectful way if you're a man and you want to do that. She points out that rape culture is another system of oppression. Regarding rape... of women who are assaulted are victimized by people they know, Mm -hmm. uh, trusted people who are embedded in our lives. These are not boogeymen who jump out of bushes for the most part, which is what we're taught. She says it's hard for people to grasp this because then they'd have to admit that they live surrounded by and may be a part of this problem. I mean, there are still states where marital rape is allowed. I guess Which is insane. She says this is why when a woman says she is being raped, they will jump down her throat to disprove her. People rush rush to discredit survivors while protecting perpetrators because it's easier to deny that something happened than to deal with the fact that there are predators in our midst. She talks about how fucked up this cycle is and that despite that less than 5% of rape allegations are found to be false, we still cast doubt on the woman who dares to assert that she was violated. Mm -hmm. She puts into words so well how we victim blame and how the entire system can re-traumatize victims even if they do come forward with a lot of support because you have to confront your attacker Mm -hmm. over and over Mm -hmm. and over. Um, I invite you to read this chapter if you want to feel the power of these words as she takes down the bullshit of our rape culture, the myth that sex workers can't be raped. Of course they can, Mm -hmm. I put in all caps, and how just like black people cannot fix racism, women cannot fix rape culture. The onus is on the majority group and the majority of rapists are men. Mm -hmm. This barely scratches the surface of this chapter and it is so worth a read. I I wrote that I could fill a whole episode on the subject, so I'm forcing myself to move on so that this episode is not three hours long. (laughs) Well, we can make it two. Yeah, it probably is going to be that. Thanks for bearing with us, friends. But I fucking love this book. I hope you do too. She also tackles feminism and how it often only benefits the interests of white women. This is something that I am still coming to terms with, so I'm so glad she talks about it. She says this is why she understands why women of color aren't always quick to identify themselves as feminists. Again, something I did not know. I am not talking to people enough about these issues is Mm -hmm. what I've realized, basically. (laughs) Um, She says, quote, when the big F, feminism, has not cared about your unique issues, Mm. has not fought the extra layers of oppression that non-white, non-straight women face, and has undermined your own efforts at seeking equality and freedom, you're probably in no rush to put yourself under its unwelcoming umbrella, end quote. She talks about the history of feminism and how women of color were its earliest pioneers. So for it to have evolved into something that excludes women of color is fucked up. 
Um, women of color face extra layers of oppression, different types of misogyny, and different kinds of feminist issues. One of the examples she uses is that white women get paid 77 cents for every dollar that a white man does in 2015, while women of color only make 64 cents. These are different issues. Um, women are, I mean, we're affected differently. So she says many black women don't feel like they have a seat at the table. Quote, let's face it, at the intersection of racism and sexism is white women's privilege. And while some feel like they're dismantling one system, they're often upholding another. 100%. In a, Which is why when you vote, you should always vote with how black women are voting because they care for everybody. She talks about that. She talks about how in the last election, 53% of white women voted for Trump while 95% of black women voted for Hillary. Mm-hmm. I mean, they but show up every black time. Black women can't keep saving us in elections. No, and they have. And oh my God, that every so time they show up. Dear fucking God, they must be exhausted. <laughs> um, she says, in a world that does a piss poor job of protecting all women and keeping us safe, when society does choose to fight for women, it's usually for white women only. Yeah. The rest of us can go fend for ourselves because quote, strong black women and, quote, fiery Latina woman are tropes used to dehumanize us and excuse the bad treatment we receive. This chapter is so, 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 so good. And I'm not doing it justice. I don't think you have to. Don't worry well, about that. Well, I also feel the need. I wrote this in my notes. I also feel the need to remind everyone that this is a really funny book. <laughs> <laughs> she really does use so much humor throughout, even in the serious chapters. It's just that It's better heard from her lips. So she also tackles homophobia, discrimination against the LGBTQ and nonconforming community, and reminds us that there is no council enacting a gay agenda trying to turn the world gay. Ajayi, uh, Ajayi, who identifies as Christian, spends most of this chapter dismantling the hypocrisy of people using their faith to fuel their homophobia, and it is well-written, thought-provoking, and gorgeous. She says, if you're not a fan of homosexuality, then don't be a homosexual. If you don't support gay marriage, then don't get gay married. If you think gay is whack, then don't be gay. That's about it. Everything else you can shut the hell up about, which I fucking loved. (laughs) You're anti-gay marriage? Don't get gay married. Makes sense. She covers religion in megachurches. She covers social media, including the correct way to use hashtags, Facebook relationships, general e-behavior, the power of Twitter, the danger of fake news, and the destructiveness of Comic Sans font. In the chapter, Your Facebook is My Favorite Soap Opera, she has this incredibly detailed example of friends who post all about their relationships on Facebook, and my favorite part was when she used the insult, nopra, as in, I don't think so, nopra, like Oprah. Haha. Ha. Um, she talks about how hard it can be to go through a relationship and break up in a public way. Mm-hmm. This is something we're having to deal with these days. The last section of the book covers fame obsession, the way we often present false versions of ourselves and our lives on Instagram. She says we're all lying on some level by not painting complete pictures of our lives. Yeah. We're being owned by spaces we're supposed to be owning. Mm-hmm. We're doing anything to be validated when the only thing we need to be doing is living life loudly as ourselves. Um and she, she used this great example of, like, if you see me all dolled up the night before, but I don't post a picture of the bags under my eyes the next morning, it's a lie. Yeah. Uh, which I loved. She also covers sex tapes. She judges our culture uh, for being hypersexualized prudes, uh, which she says makes no sense. She also talks about reality TV. We're finally at the epilogue. Do something that matters. 
She says too many of us think of giving back as an option instead of an obligation. We need to serve even when it's inconvenient. She says we don't have to be Captain Planet or the Batman, but choosing not to maximize our positive impact is careless. She asks us to examine our lives, see where we've lucked out, and try to make someone's path easier than ours, especially those of us who have been born privileged to be in the majority group. She says, quote, to whom much is given, much is required. Respect marginalized groups. Treat women like equal human beings. Love people no matter who they choose to love. If you're able, invite your friends to places where they will not struggle to enter or exist. Don't stay silent when you hear people making racist remarks and don't laugh at misogynist jokes. Teach your children that different isn't synonymous with subpar. Those of us who can do more than just not being extra shitty should do more by consciously giving back. It's not about donating money. Sometimes it can be as simple as speaking up about the conditions of the things around you. Your silence is complicity, and your lack of giving a damn is pure bullshit. People are worried about ruffling feathers, but sometimes the fear isn't worth the shutting up. Neutrality is for suckers, and it does nothing but indicate that you are all right with bad things happening. You do not have to be a crusader, but do not be silent. We can start doing better whenever we want. So that is I'm Judging You. The Do Better Manual by Lavi Ajayi. She finished writing the book in 2015, and she added an ad- she added an addendum to address all of the chaos that has ensued since Trump was elected. Um, we say this at the end of every episode, but it's especially true for this book. Cannot cover it all. So if you'd like to read it for yourself, it's available on audible.com, the free library app, Overdrive, wherever books are sold. Her website is L-U-V-V-I-E dot org if you want to know more she also recently launched a podcast Yay! called rants and randomness um it's she says it's a podcast where she covers her most pressing rants raves faves from this crazy thing called life the hardcover is $17.70 the paperback is $13.28 the kindle is $9.99 the audiobook is $24.49 on audible or $14.95 on google play and on overdrive app it is Free. Who is this book good for? This book is great for people who, uh, first of all, this is not so much a self-help book, which you said at the beginning. This is, if people want to kind of tiptoe into self-help or see what it's about, this book is more about raising questions Mm -hmm. about the things around you and thinking critically. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want something that's like woo-woo and try these 14 exercises and you're thinking about getting into self-help, I liked this one a lot because it really just provokes your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Or it's for somebody who has been thinking, what is intersectionality? Mm -hmm. I want to be more intersectional or... I want to read a book from someone else's perspective that's mm-hmm. not going to make me, like, ball my eyes out or, you know, want to go drink an entire bottle of liquor. She's mm-hmm. very funny. It's very approachable. Um, so would you say this is more practical, Patty, or woo-woo? It's so practical, Patty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and by the way, she has a lot of, like, here's the etiquette you should use in these mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. throughout the book. That's great. Super practical. That's super great. Uh, who is this book terrible for? This book, oh, I here's what I wrote down. This book is great for three types of people. Okay. People who aren't ready to get into the nitty-gritty of self-help but still want a thought-provoking read that makes them think differently about how they operate in the world. Number two, 
people who want to be informed or feel they need to be informed about the often heavy feeling subjects of rape culture, racism, and feminism, but haven't been able to dive in yet because it's so daunting. And three, liberals. Number Uh four, this book is terrible for racists, assholes, and neo-Nazis, but I bet even they could learn something. That's great. That's what I meant. Um, What do you feel like she got right on the money? She is so funny, Mm -hmm. and she handles both sensitive and very light subjects totally masterfully. Mm. Like, I felt like she wrote about social media for a much longer time than what I would have preferred, but everything else was just, like, on the money. So that kind of answers my question of what do you think that she didn't get right, or what do you think that she was a little off the mark? Oh, here's the other thing. She has that great addendum, but I will say it's the book is simultaneously just as relevant as it's ever been, Mm. and even tamer— you know what I mean? Yeah. She wrote it in 2015, and this was before people were marching in the streets with tiki torches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I was fascinated to go back to a time where, like, even that was mild. Yeah. Which was crazy. Oh, that is crazy. Um, okay. Well, then, uh, I feel like that's all my questions. Is there oh anything else that I should ask? Yeah, well, I have a listener challenge for you. <gasps> That's the most okay. important. So um, it's a two-parter. The first is— I love two parts. The very first thing, it's very important, I want you to wash all of your bras. Done. I did that. Amazing. Uh, as I came back from vacation. Part two. For the year. Yeah, that's right. The annual bra washing. Um, the second thing is I would love for you to pay attention— to the specific ways that you are privileged. Yeah. I am not asking you to change anything. I'm not asking you to do anything crazy. Just take notice of your privilege and see what comes up for you. I love it. Um, so before we go, as a, a, a thing that I discovered earlier this week, I want to highlight the website girlboss.com mm. because uh, so Sophia Amoruso is the founder of Nasty Gal she had that memoir out called Girl Boss it was made into the very short lived Netflix series that I personally loved mm-hmm. uh, also called Girl Boss but girlboss.com the website is amazing um, it was also founded by Sophia Amoruso and here's their mission statement we exist to redefine success for millennial women by providing the tools and connections they need to own their futures. Our purpose is to create a new reality where women can make progress personally, professionally, and in the service of others. Their website is so fucking great. It has an identity section that has so many incredible articles written by women of color, book recommendations, political think pieces, podcast recommendations to make you a better intersectional feminist. It is so amazing which I've already said, but I wrote it in caps again in my notes. I'm going to say it. And I invite everyone to check out girlboss.com right now. Plus, it's really, really pretty and well-designed, and you will just love browsing it. Um, And the last thing I will leave us with is this brilliant tip that I heard um, from a colleague of mine who was once a producer for Oprah. He says... At the end of every job interview, when the meeting is almost over and the interview and the interviewer asks if you have any questions, he always asks this. Is there anything about me in this role that concerns you that I can address 
before this conversation it's is a over. Brilliant question. It's brilliant because it opens a dialogue. It shows you're open to criticism. And if they are going, well, you don't have that much experience, or you don't, da da, well, gives you you've a chance stabbed to me twice it. in the middle of this interview. Yeah, and we've got worries about your aim. Yeah, because you barely nicked me. Yeah, and this role, this this job is stabber. We yeah, stab. I was gonna say hitman, but I love stabber. <laughs> no, just stabber. stabber. Where you might progress to hitman. I, yeah. That's a beautiful question. Mm. I would also like to tag on um, if you're more of a if you're not like a website peruser, um, if you're more of like an Instagrammer. Amanda Seals is brilliant. Her how do you spell her last name? S e a l e s, I believe. Um, she has a lot of uh, great stuff, and now she has a podcast as well, um, where she tackles like a tiny topic. Um, at a time. And I feel like over the last three years, I really cultivated my Instagram feed to be more diverse, to be more intersectional. I love that. And that's how I, I feel like I've learned most of this stuff from a few key people on Instagram. Yeah, And she's a great one and she will break stuff down. So her Instagram is great. Her stories are great on there and her podcast is fantastic. So if, if you want to hear from a person who talk straight from the hip, who's also a comedian and makes it very funny. Mm. She's a- another wonderful person to do it. I also love Teach and Transform mm. on Instagram. It's this amazing, she's also a woman of color. She teaches in Silver Lake. Yes. Um, her account is amazing. And everything she does goes viral. So, Yay! So that, thank you so much if you stuck with us through the entire episode. Yeah, we they can, love listen, you. They can pause whenever they want and come back. That's right. You can. And if you didn't, we still love you. We got a ton more books coming for you. And also, just in case you don't know, we plug all of our social media in the outro. Yes. So stick around. If you want to know how to get a hold of us on Instagram, Twitter, email. Our Instagram is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And we love getting emails from all of you. So please, please, please email us. You could be featured in a mini-sode. You never know. And as always, life is abundant. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at GHY Podcast or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.